0: Hello there. Welcome to the Africa Rights Talk podcast, a center for human rights podcast series, exploring a range of human rights issues through conversations with academics, practitioners and activists. I am your host, Victoria Amici. Let's dive in. I met a guy, he said um, there is a work in Dubai that I can do. He will connect me to the lady. She said she has a restaurant shop. I was very happy. I was very, very excited. I'll be sending money for my parents, for them to be okay and my little ones. So when when I get to Dubai, the story really changed. She offered to pay my travelling expenses. It was a big opportunity for me. She collected my passport from me.
1: She collected my phone also. I no not have that access to call anybody in Nigeria.
0: It was when I got to the apartment, they told me the reason why I came.
1: The same day I just landed, that's when they took everything from me.
0: Thank you so much for joining the African Rise Talk podcast. And um, I hope that we have a meaningful and very important conversation about the work that you do.
1: Thank you very much, Victoria, it's nice to meet you and um, I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Would you like to introduce yourself and the nature of work that you do?
1: Sure, Um, thanks Victoria. So my name's Angus Thomas and I'm the CEO and founder of uh, the Hope Education Project, which is a human trafficking education and awareness program for schools and communities in Ghana. Um, I'm also the founder of a um, campaign called Send Them Home uh, where I've been rescuing and repatriating Nigerian uh, women who have been trafficked to the uh, United Arab Emirates for sexual exploitation. So I've been doing this work now for about um, uh, four years and um, it's become a full-time occupation for me now. So, and, uh, and I'm very delighted to be in the sweet spot of uh, where I'm happiest, which is uh, working you know, around this subject around uh, human trafficking and uh, modern slavery.
0: Thank you for giving us that a bit of insight into what you do. It's a very, very niche aspect of human rights. What inspired you to get into this form of activism, I'll say? Is there a personal um, connection? Is there a personal history to that kind of activism?
1: Well. Um... I'll answer that question in two parts because uh, nothing inspired me to get into this work at all. It was just uh, an accidental chance meeting with a Nigerian victim. I was on a layover in uh, Dubai on my way back from seeing my stepson who lives in um, Indonesia. And uh, it was uh, New Year's Eve and um, my wife was sick and uh, she asked me to go to the supermarket. And um, I passed some, uh, it was New Year's Eve, there were lots of people dressed up so um, I left the hotel and um, one of them ran up to me and propositioned me for sex and uh, anyway we got, uh, we got talking and I asked her if she um, uh, wanted to be there and she said no, that um, effectively what she described to me was that she had been trafficked uh, from Nigeria, she'd been tricked into taking a job uh, in the United Arab Emirates um had her passport taken away and then was uh locked up in a flat um and then put onto the street to earn money uh by selling sex and uh so i said to her if you meet me here the next day at seven o'clock because i didn't know whether she was serious i i never heard of sex trafficking i've never you know had much to do or anything to do with uh uh sex workers um and uh you know in dubai it can be uh you know you're never quite sure of you know what you're going to get into trouble for uh, so I didn't really want anything much to do with her, but I'm a photographer by background, and so I'm always chasing a story. And uh, so the next morning I met her, and we agreed on a, an escape plan. And um, uh, I flew home that day, and then within the next three days I got her to a um, to a hotel, and uh, and then. It was extremely complicated, but I managed to fly her back to uh, Nigeria. But then when she got back to Nigeria, we had a sort of debrief and she um, she explained to me that um, uh, there were 22 other women in that uh, trafficking cell. Uh, and then that started me on my journey of rescuing those women. And then whilst that was going on, other women came you know, came to the fore, contacted me through Instagram, and so I was able to help uh, some other, other women as well, including a, a Kenyan, but it was uh, predominantly Nigerians. And then that led me into this work of uh, human trafficking education and awareness because I realised that um, you know I was spending a lot of time and other people's money uh, rescuing uh, women when actually that money could be uh, exponentially used to better use, if I was educating people at the source of the problem, uh, which at the time I was looking at um, Edo State in, um, or Benin and Edo State in Nigeria, um, but that became too dangerous for me to focus on. So I moved uh, my work to Ghana about 18 months ago. um, And now we're at the point where we are about to start our pilot project in uh, Northern Ghana. Uh, working with um, uh, a Muslim community in Tamale, um and we hope to be starting that in May. So, so I walked into this by accident but I discovered my life's passion. So, uh, and I've always had an eye for the victim uh, in terms of my photography and um, I have a revulsion for inequality wherever I see it, be it in the UK or South Africa or um, in Ghana. So that's, that's what keeps me at the coalface of it.
0: There's a range of things um, take on it and very interested in getting into the, the activism field. I'm pretty sure there are a bit of like you know challenges in trying to advocate for women's um, you know interests. What are the challenges you faced trying to you know um, bring attention to the trafficking issues related to women?
1: So in Dubai specifically, the the challenges around um, uh, trafficking for sexual exploitation. Let's call it sex trafficking. Uh, The challenges are that uh, victims are treated as uh, criminals. And whilst there are lots of rules on the statute book uh, in Dubai for uh, criminalising human trafficking, uh, there have been very, very few prosecutions. And um, interestingly enough, I was looking at the, um, the US State Department trafficking in persons report 2023 in respect to the UAE. And I think they investigated a total of 27 cases, uh, of which um, 24 were suspected sex trafficking and only one was suspected labor trafficking, which I think is an interesting reflection on the priorities uh, in uh, the UAE. Uh, If you consider the UAE has about a population of about 10 million, but 9 million of those people are there on the... Uh, and uh, uh, our foreign workers are on on visas. So, in a population of uh, ten million people, they've only, only investigated twenty seven suspected cases of labour trafficking, which which statistically is almost impossible. Uh, especially if you given that amongst the cohort that I dealt with, you know, one cell alone was twenty two women who had been trafficked for sexual exploitation to the UAE. But I think the reason that the numbers are so weighted heavily towards sex trafficking is itinerant labour force under the kafala system uh, to uh, do the jobs that um, obviously Emiratis don't want to do, um, and therefore it's 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 not a good idea to be focusing on the labour pool. It's much easier to focus on uh, the women uh, and sex trafficking because that is almost sort of uh, more more palatable uh, to be investigating those cases. Um, So, you know, the major challenge, I suppose, is logistics on the ground, um, actually finding, uh, you know, accommodation, because if the women are seen on the street, obviously, they're they're black, they stand out, you don't see many black people in uh, in the UAE. And, um, you know, they are, uh, if you're on the street as a black person, uh, or a black woman at ten o'clock walking on your own, you know the, the the suspicion is that you are a prostitute or engaged in some sort of sex work. Um, and therefore it's a very dangerous uh, existence for them. Um, and um you know, getting anybody to help you in in Dubai or um, uh, anywhere else, yeah l i. Uh, is extremely difficult because it 's very dangerous business to help other people, and so generally people don't want to get involved with you so i've had a um you know some good Samaritans on the ground um, that are uh, um, very, you know keen to help their countrymen they 're all Nigerian um, but they do so at you know great risks them themselves so um, it's it's a very challenging environment in in dubai
0: thank you for that. Do you think education about this issue can be used as a tool to kind of address maybe say mitigate um, occurrences of women being trafficked into the uh, UAE?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that probably works on several levels actually, Victoria. So if we take at the, the, the top level, uh, we need to be educating um, the uh, Dubai police, the immigration authorities to look out for factors that would flag that a girl is being trafficked, let's take from South Africa or Nigeria or Ghana. Because if, if the woman is having a passport confiscated, that is a red flag. But under the kafala system uh, in Dubai, the employer acts as the state effectively. Your first right of redress, even if you're in legal employment, even if you're, you know, you've gone there to be a hairdresser, you're working as a hairdresser, you have no rights against the state. So, um, so we need to educate the judiciary. We need to educate health workers. We need to educate the police. That's on on the first level. On the second level, thinking specifically about sex trafficking in Dubai, uh, we need to educate the people who are using the services of women in in the um, sex industry uh, to look out for the signs of uh, women who have been trafficked. Because in Dubai, uh, sex follows alcohol. So alcohol, you can buy in bars, in casinos, in hotels. um, And that's where sex workers congregate. Um, And in amongst those you know, legitimate sex workers, if you like, you know, people who are operating, you know, as a sex worker, they've gone there for their own volition, they're running their own business. In amongst those will be women who have been trafficked and a very high proportion of women who have been trafficked as well. So uh, what we need to do is educate the Johns, as they call them in the US, um, but we also need to educate the hotels and we need to, uh, in in some way, we need to try and persuade the hotels to, uh, police their own premises there because a lot of these all these hotel chains have human rights policies and human trafficking policies, but they're not being implemented on the grounds uh, within their own premises. Then if we if we step back, uh, we need to be educating women at the point of uh, at the source, the uh, at the origin at source. So in Edo State or in, uh, you know, Accra, we need to be educating people about what uh, human trafficking is, because in a lot of the research, what's come out, I was reading some research yesterday, what what comes out in the research is that we're in a situation now where a lot of children know far more than their parents because the children get hold of smartphones before their parents get hold of smartphones. And if you've got parents who are illiterate or they are not uh, technologically uh, enabled, their children are gonna know more about the situation in the world than than their parents. And so the parents need educating because they don't understand what human trafficking is, um, and of course the children need educating themselves as to what human trafficking is and the the methods that human traffickers use to coerce them or trick them into travelling to Dubai. So, amongst the cohort that we brought home, you know some girls travelled to Dubai to be um, uh, hairdressers, uh, you know some went as cooks, and um, uh, you know when they get to the airport they they are sorry, they are seduced with offers of high-paying jobs and when they get to the airport the other side their um, passports are taken away from them and um, uh, they never actually, um, sorry, then they're put into an apartment uh, and they're forced to work as sex workers um, and they never ever see the money so the girls come home or the women come home just if they get home uh, they're just heaped up with shame because their whole life is about shame from that point onwards because If they traveled, they told their friends, their friends were expecting something from them. They expected to come home with some money. Their families expected them to come home with some money. And the truth is they they come home with, you know, psychological scars, physical scars, mental scars, uh, no money and, and just a lifetime of shame that they can't talk to anyone about because there were no counseling services back to deal with survivors when they get back home. So it really is a very desperate situation. If we take it to that top-down level, uh, we need to educate in the UAE. We we need to educate um, officials in the UAE, and uh, because they need to understand the the extent of the problem and they need to recognise what a victim of human trafficking looks like. Um, so we need to uh, educate at that level. We need to educate airport staff, uh, border control staff. Uh, you know, at that level, um, we need to ed- educate uh, people in hospitals, uh, anywhere where victims of human trafficking might come into contact with authority, um, which in the UAE is very difficult because obviously contact with authority also meet, brings with it the risk of uh, imprisonment or. or being treated as a as a um, as a uh, criminal, um, and then there's the um, uh, the education of uh, the people who are using the um, sex services uh, within the UAE, um, so that we uh, educate the Johns who are actually uh, using uh, women for sex, um, so that they can spot the signs of somebody who has been trafficked and um, and set up some kind of reporting mechanism. Um, there are reporting mechanisms in the UAE, but um, when when we've ever tried to use them, uh, they're not manned. The, the hotlines are not answered. Um, and then we need to um, educate hotels um, about the activities that are actually going on in their premises. Um, and uh, the hotel chains obviously have um, human trafficking and, and um, human rights policies in the back of their and accounts, but these are not being enforced on the ground. Um, and so we need to educate um, hotels as to, or we need to educate them to enforce their policies um, or we need to advocate for them to enforce their policies because um, a lot of their policies are being bypassed either through bribery uh, or through uh, complicity um, or through ignorance. Um, so, so that's um, sort of the top level of um, education. And then we need to spread um, general education and awareness amongst um, the men and women who are being caught up in the, both the labor trafficking and, and sex trafficking web. We need to educate young people as to the tech tactics that um, uh, human traffickers use to um, uh, entice their victims. Uh, we need to uh, educate parents uh, about um, you know, the, the a, a human trafficking. I read a report last week uh, where you know it highlighted the fact that parents actually know vastly less in many many communities than their children do because their children are exposed on smartphones. Uh, to a lot more information than their parents, and therefore you've got this unusual uh, situation arising uh, where children are more knowledgeable than uh, their parents. But what it also does make the, the children children is more vulnerable uh, to a wider variety of human trafficking enterprises. And certainly, um, you know, some of the uh, cases that I've come across, uh, children have been uh, recruited by uh, online adverts using um, Facebook and WhatsApp. I mean, in in, in West Africa. Uh, they use whatsapp uh, much as we use um, instagram stories um, you know other people are seduced by by uh, seeing uh, adverts on whatsapp stories and um, and without any sort of context or any uh, knowledge or information they are unable to uh, disseminate whether these are real adverts um or whether they are uh you know scams and you know anecdotally i've i've been in aggobloshi slum in uh, accra and you know i was uh in a school talking to one of the ladies who was uh cooking the school meal and um she told me or confided in me that she'd been approached for a lucrative uh, cooking job in dubai mm. and uh nothing nothing i could say to convince her would convince her that that was you know a spoof mm. job that, that that somebody in dubai had been specifically looking for this one woman in agbobloshi slum in, in in accra you know it's, it's very you know poverty is the main driver for uh, human trafficking and it's you know it's a very seductive argument to you know to learn that you could be earning you know 40 60 80 dollars a day in dubai for cooking
0: Thank you, thank you so much. This is very interesting. I do believe education is, has done a lot of good of bringing um, a lot of uh, victims to to reach their justice, and I feel like um, we need to do more. That's why I think this conversation is uh, important. You talked about you trying to convince this young lady who thinks she has a, mm. a cooking job in in Dubai, and it seems like whatever you did tell her didn't. Wouldn't convince her. Do you think mm. there are more effective ways of to raise a, awareness to caution people, caution women, about yes. this, this human trafficking and how this impacts them as as people, as as women? As
1: yeah, yeah, I think there is, and I think that's uh, where the survivors come in because I think if we if we advocate for a survivor led solution. Um, it, it, it's a bit like one alcoholic okay. talking to another alcoholic. You know, uh, they've got a they've got a they've got a, a shared problem and they've got a shared solution. And uh, with survivors, uh, if survivors shape the narrative. Uh, then we can actually make it as uh, a, a real connection, particularly to uh, young women around sex trafficking, um, because it is, you know, seductive seeing these stories of, you know, glamour and glitz in in Dubai. Um, but w- what we need to do is is we need to present uh, young people with uh, with survivors' testimonies, meeting survivors in person, mm-hmm. um, and and survivors dictating the narrative as to what resonates with young people in their community. And, and let's not forget, you know, countries like South Africa and, and and Nigeria and Ghana. You know, there are many there are many diverse communities uh, a- across one nation, and therefore each education and awareness campaign needs to be specifically tailored for that community. And we need to have survivors from that community actually mm. leading the effort to spread education and awareness.
0: Okay, I agree so much. That kind of approach could work. Or oh. Can work.
1: There will be a certain section of the population who, who will never believe you, whatever you say. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, what, is, what is staggering is the proportion or or the the frequency with which uh, some women are re-trafficked. And I think it's just human nature that we just believe that next time it's going to be different. Um, I think that's simply how we feel as human beings sometimes. So, But I think, you know, the earliest we can... From my focus groups that I've done in Ghana and I've, I've worked with kids from you know, 11 years old up to 25 years old. I mean, young adults or adults. Um, and, uh, you know, the age to get in there is, is 11, 12, 13. Uh, in, in Washington state, in the USA now, they have just mandated compulsory sex trafficking education for all 12
0: to 18 year olds. That That's the place to get them as early as possible. Thank you for that, sir. When Clementel reached out to me, gave me a fair brief about the work that you do in, on your on your future projects, gonna be working on repatriation of more survivors back to yeah. their home countries and, and in a in a very careful manner. And I would like to ask how do you plan to ensure that this this process or this repatriation process is safe and secure yeah. for these survivors. Mm.
1: Yeah, so during uh, uh, November and December, we had an exhibition in London, uh, which was actually focused on some of the stories uh, of the uh, women that, and, and the victims that we had rescued from uh, the United of Emirates. Um, and that was attended by the, um, um, by the head of the, uh, NAPTIC, the Nigerian Anti-Trafficking uh, Agency. And uh, during that period, we actually uh, rescued three more uh, women And uh, so the process there with those live rescues was that um, we work closely with NAPTIP um, so that NAPTIP are aware of the flights that the women are arriving on. And NAPTIP actually meet them at the airport. And NAPTIP have a procedure for allocating them a case officer. And the case officer then um, will uh, ensure that you know we'll do we'll, we'll make an assessment they'll put them into a hostel for their first night make an assessment of the women's needs and then as resources are available they might get them you know counseling or um they might put them into the iom system for skills training um, but the problem is you know when these survivors come home their needs are very very complex because they're they're torn between trauma uh, and ambition and uh, in some cases you know a lot of denial. Mm-hmm. um and so the last thing some girls some women or young girls may want to do is end up with uh you know a law, law enforcement agency regardless of the fact they've been told that there's help on offer you know what they want to do is run away and hide or they want to run to their families or they want to run for their friends and hide out mm-hmm. and work out a way to get back to their families uh, because obviously they're full of shame so you know it, it's it's not as it's it's not really it, it, because it's such a complex process, you you need a very complex um, uh, architecture to uh, receive uh, these um, young people and women, and um, you know nobody has the budget for that at the moment. So so Naptipper do do the best they can. Uh, they do a triage system and 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 put them into um, you know care if they want it. But the girls that we brought home or the women that we brought home at um, at Christmas, uh, two wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. And and they went straight home. And in fact, heartbreakingly, one of them um, actually stayed in Abuja and hid out until she could work out a way to make money, uh, so that she could go home with some money, because she didn't tell her parents that um, you know she hadn't made some, uh, uh, hadn't made any money in, in the UAE. So uh, you know it's a desperate situation for for the victims, and and you know let's not forget that in this conversation that we're talking about victims who you know get returned through campaigns like ourselves or or through the embassy or, or other NGOs. But you know, many, many, many victims remain in Dubai. Um, you know, either in prison or put out onto the streets and dead, or murdered through their work, or you know, uh, or or are still there under juju. So um, you know, the ones that get home are actually you know extremely lucky.
0: I agree. I think that approach is important, and I think could be the best approach. It's important to raise awareness to mm. this. Issue so that we can get more resources i think Mm. we need all hands on deck kind of approach the you know psychological department from the police authorities from from researchers Mm. from activists from lawyers everyone Mm. has to put their weight together to solve this issue and also from the from survivors also so i I agree Mm. and um and thank you for the work that you do this is really 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 important and Mm. thank you for coming on the podcast to shed light on the work that you do and your future and the future projects of repatriation of this survivor. Thank you. thank you so much, and I hope that you have a good year ahead with the project you're going to do, you. and more successes, thank you. and um, and inspire more conversations and more um, light on this issue. And hopefully, right. we have another conversation in the, towards the end of the year to see, you know, maybe there's some progress to this issue. If possible, wonderful. Be delighted yeah. to. Yep. So, thank you so much for joining this podcast and yeah have a good day
1: great um, thank you victoria it's nice to meet you and thank you very much for uh, for your time and mm-hmm. uh, putting some o- oxygen on the subject for us so yeah, thank
0: you, thank you. Bye. great bye. thanks a lot bye yeah. bye and have just listened to the africa rights talk podcast i hope you've enjoyed this episode do not forget to subscribe to our youtube channels social media platforms such as twitter and instagram thank you for listening